which is page 1022 of your church Bibles. And um, we've been kind of tracking through scripture, through the book of John, looking at Jesus's I am sayings over the past few weeks. And now we're kind of getting to the central bit of John's gospel. Um, This is the sort of latter half. It's known as the book of glory. And we find in this scene of John chapter 14 that Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem for the Passover festival with his disciples. And he's in the upper room with them. So essentially, picture Jesus having a kind of dinner party and a very, very long conversation with some of his friends, with his disciples. And as we read the text, you'll um, sort of sense and feel that his disciples have some very literal questions and are quite confused. And Jesus is trying to get across to them some really big truths that we'll delve into this morning. So, John chapter 14 verses 1 to 14. Let's read this together, page 1022. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to, going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray for a moment. And Lord, we thank you that you have shown us who you are in Jesus. The living word. And as we turn to scripture, we can stand on it as a solid foundation. And so Lord, in these few moments now, by the power of your spirit, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive from you and to glimpse you in a new way. Amen. Amen. 
so. Verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the journey that um, Jesus is inviting us on this morning, that we'll consider that, that he is the way, that he is the truth, and he is the life. So if we begin with this announcement of Jesus, I am the way. Why did Jesus use this turn of phrase? What's he, what's he getting at there? Well, Jesus lived in a culture not utterly dissimilar to our own, that had a lot of sort of gods around and a lot of ideas floating around and you could grab hold of a bit of this and a bit of that. There was an awful lot to be worshipped and engaged with. And into this world that had loads of ideas of truth and God and possibilities, Jesus enters and he says, I am the one true God. I am the way. I am the way. He undercuts everything and he announces a certainty where there's a lot of confusion. And so what happens with the early Christians is that they're not actually known as Christians. If we'd been around in the first century, we would be known as people of the way. They're known as followers of the way. This idea that Jesus is the way and is the only way to God is hugely countercultural and is the central arc of how Christians first express themselves. But it's quite a big idea to sort of get your head around. Jesus is the only way to God. I don't know what you think when, um, when I throw that out there. I remember, I've got this really vivid memory of when I was a kid. I think I was probably about five years old. Um, and I was in our garden in Finsbury Park up in North London where we lived um, with my mum. And I think I was beginning to get some sort of like God consciousness going on and some idea of what the Christian faith is about. And I said to my mum, I said, you know, what is Jesus and how can Jesus be the way to God? And my mum made a really good attempt at um, explaining this to me. But by the end of it, all I had was this sort of image of a really, really long ladder going somewhere into the sky that Jesus was kind of in somehow. And that kind of image stuck with me for ages. And there is truth in that image that Jesus is the way to God. You might want to express him as a kind of a ladder. But obviously there's some much, much deeper things than that going on. And if you've been um, around church for a while, you might have um, come across this diagram, which hopefully will appear, there we go. So let's just imagine for a second that this lectern here is God. Obviously it's not God, but we'll use it as a visual aid. And um, when the Lord, when God created us way back in sort of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we were, in, we were in perfect relationship. We were really, really close to God. And we know that when we read about the fall in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Genesis, that actually what happened in the fall, what happened when Eve ate that apple and Adam was complicit next to her and humankind chose their own way rather than God's way, was that sin entered the world. And sin created a gap between us and God. Actually, no longer was the perfect relationship possible. There was this large gulf that we, by our own efforts, could
couldn't pass over until the person of Jesus. And what happens, why Jesus can declare that he is the way is the cross. Because the cross bridges the gap. The cross bridges this gulf and makes a perfect way to the Father, to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus again and again says that he is the gate, that he is the good shepherd, that he is the way, that through the cross, through his life and death and resurrection, that relationship, that intimacy with God has been restored. He is the only way to the Father because he is God and he is the only one who hung on that cross for us. He's the way. And so the first challenge this morning is for us to pause for a moment and just think in your mind, what do you picture when you read those words of Jesus, I am the way, I am the way? What do you picture? Okay. So Jesus is the way. The way. Then he goes on to say, I am the truth. I am the truth. And so the second challenge for us is to consider, do we believe that truth? Do we believe that truth? Because Jesus, as I said, John is writing into a culture that isn't utterly different to our own, where there's different truths all over the place. And we live again in a moment in history where truth is quite contested, isn't it? We hear this word kind of post-truth and things banded about. And we as Christians are called to be people who are sure and certain of the truth. And scripture tells us that actually truth is a person, truth is a person, Jesus, that this book, this Bible that we hold and we read is the living word of God, the living word of God that it is Jesus Christ. Somehow truth is embodied in this and it's extraordinary and it's a truth that is called to change and mold us and to bring certainty to the world that we live in. We're called to stand upon it and to come to scripture as an authority under which we sit and are molded and offer to the world around. Um, I love what um, John Stott says. Uh, John Stott was an extraordinary Bible teacher throughout the sort of latter half of the 20th century. And he says this about scripture, about truth, about Jesus. If we come to scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed he will not speak to us. 
and we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudices. We must allow the word of God to confront us, disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. So Jesus is the way, but he's also the truth, and the truth changes us. Scripture, the living word, Jesus Christ changes us so that what we're called to be as church, as people of the way, is those on the outside who are offering from the outside in to a society that has now moved beyond Christianity, a prophetic posture of saying, this is the way, this is the way, this is truth. Engage in this and you really will know life to the full. So we wrestle with scripture and we allow it to change us. And that really is the second challenge after we've considered how we conceive of Jesus as the way is what we believe about truth and what we believe about scripture. Actually, where are we sitting, thinking, feeling in that whole area today? When I was um, trained to be a vicar at Theological College, we had a kind of professor who sometimes would just say to some of us, are you still a Christian? Are you still a Christian? And he wasn't being facetious, but what he was getting at was that just as we walked out our Christian walk in everyday life, your heart and your mind, it can change. And he was encouraging us to constantly come back to Jesus, to constantly come back to scripture, to spend time in the power of the Holy Spirit and to again and again rebuild our foundations, to stand on a solid rock and to know the truth that sets us free. Because really, the devil has only ever had one strategy. And it's way back there in Genesis when the serpent turns to Eve and Adam and says, did God really say? Did God really say? And when we read scripture, when we see the person of Jesus, God really said, he really said that he is the way and the truth and the life. He really said everything you read about. And we need to be certain as Christians of Jesus, of truth, and of his word. And then finally, the way, the truth, the life. Because where this passage leads us, ultimately, is to conceive of the good news, of the fullness of life that is found in Jesus, in our faith. And the thing is at the moment that where 
probably 50 years ago, people were primarily asking, is Christianity true? Actually, what people are asking now is, is it good? Is it good? Is what we believe, is what we find in Scripture, is it good? And we've got to tell the world that it really, really is good news. And how do we, how do we know that it's good news? Well, it's good news because the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the you know, God Almighty has come in the person of Jesus and invites us into a personal relationship with him in a world that is deeply isolated and lonely and constantly having a kind of identity crisis, we can say, there's truth, and truth is a person, and you are invited into a relationship with him. And so that's what's going on in verses 7 to 10. It's Jesus saying, you know, if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. I and the Father are one. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He is God. And he invites each of us into a relationship with him. He's a personal God. He's a personal God. You could put it this way. The reality and truth of God are incarnated, i.e. made known, in Jesus Christ, who embodies the indestructible life of the ever-living God. And we get to know that God We get to know that God. He is the life. He enlivens our lives because we can have a personal relationship with him. And secondly, he is a God. He came as one of us. He knows everything you are going through. Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews just tells us that he suffered in every way like us, yet was without sin because he was God. And he knows the highs and the lows of human existence. When we read something like this scene in John 14, in one sense, Jesus is having a great human experience. He's just having dinner with his friends. You know, a bit like playing darts on Wednesday night with the men's ministry or something like that. He's having a great time. He's doing the stuff that we would do. But also, he is aware of a deep wrestle. And in many senses, a low that is to come. That is the cross of all that he's going to do. He knows the joy of human existence and he knows the hardship of human existence, and he meets us in that. Um, Again and again, I come back to a quote by um, a professor I studied under and and a friend, um, Michael Lloyd, and he says this, truth is only safe in scarred hands. Truth is only safe in scarred hands. Far Far from forfeiting our freedom. We find our freedom in him. Because of what he did on the cross. Because he is fully God and fully human 
And he loves us so much that he gave himself up for us. We can trust him. We can trust him. All truth is held in his scarred hands. And we don't lose our freedom in Jesus. We find our freedom in Jesus. Find a freedom from fear, freedom to love each other, to love God, freedom to be courageous and bold. I've got a few people in my life who are a lot older than me um, and have just walked with the Lord for so long now. And I think of one of them, a lady called Jilly. And she has known God for so very, very long. And she's had some enormous highs in her life and, and some horrible lows. And she is the most alive, free, wonderful person. Because she trusts this Jesus. And she knows that he is the way, he is the complete truth, and he is the life. And no matter what life throws at her, she becomes free in him. Personal God. He knows our highs and our lows and walks with us. And in that, knows that we have a life now and life still to come. Jesus presents everything in light of eternity, in light of what is to come. That's what he's getting at in these verses, that actually he's going to the Father. He's going to heaven to make a way for us. And then, in a time still to come, when the Lord returns, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, to usher in a new age, the new creation, to bring heaven to earth, to wipe away every tear from our eye, to scoop up all that suffering and all that joy, and to make it beautiful, to bring about eternal realities. And so Jesus, by saying to us that he is the life and asking us, inviting us into that life, is saying that we can have life right now, that we have access to the things of the kingdom, to the power of God, that we can pray for healing, that we can know his presence on this earth, that we can pray and he will answer, although his timing is often different to ours. But actually... The real, real reality is all that is to come. Is all that is to come. That one day he's going to put it all right. That the absolute fullness of life is on its way. That we taste it now. But we're going to drink of it in the age to come. I'm, um, I'm not always one for liturgy but there's a beautiful phrase that ends a lot of our Anglican liturgy. And if any of you are using um, Pete Gregg's um, Lexio 365, um, sort of prayer app for the year, uh, every session ends with this. And it just says, in this age and the age to come. In this age and the age to come. And so Jesus invites us into life now but also the fullness of life in the age to come. So that's where we land with I am the way and the truth and the life. And each of us will be at a different point on that journey. 
and we might be doing a kind of circle, like we were here and now we're over here, or we've gone back down here. You know, life is not a kind of linear progression. But the challenge this morning is Jesus is the way. How do you picture that? How do you conceive of that? The truth. Do you believe that this faith, this Jesus, this Bible, that it is true? And is it changing you? And do you know that you can do, will have life in all its fullness right now and in the things to come? So let's pause for a moment. Continue to let the Lord speak to us. Draw close to him.